Uh, we're in the series in Colossians. Uh, this is the last uh, week that we're going to be in Colossians, uh, not because we're done with Colossians, but uh, just because it's the last week we're going to be in Colossians. We're moving on to something else next week. Uh, but it has been this great series, and most of the series has had its emphasis talking about this idea about who is Christ and, and what does he look like and how do we reflect that in our lives. And especially the last few weeks, we've been talking about uh, what does this character of Christ look like in us as we live and function in our world and in the church and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and we're going to continue talking about that today. Um, I, I really... Uh, been thinking, though, about this morning, and we're having communion here. We're going to close our service with communion, um, and we're going to be talking about that. But I, there's something about communion that I always enjoy uh, because it reminds me that I have a God who loves me unconditionally, who loves me sacrificially, who loves me beyond anything that I could ever imagine. And, and this God, this God who sent Jesus to uh, die for us, to shed his blood and break his body. This all those kind of things we talk about with this. Um, this God has a relationship with me. And, and in that relationship is continually shaping and transforming who I am and how I live and how I think and, and what I'm all about. I, the song we kind of sang, what, what if we really believe this stuff? Yeah. What if we really believe the stuff we read and what if we really believe the stuff we sang about? What if we really believed that this God who is so powerful and so loving and so gracious came to us and changed us and is in the process of uh, us changing our world and doing all that kind of stuff, what, what would happen if we really lived like that? Yeah? It's, it's kind of a big question. It's a big issue because it, it takes it from just thinking about stuff. It takes us from just thinking about, well, that's a nice thought and that's good, to this really changes things. This really does change how I view life and how I view, as we're going to talk about today, our relationships. And, uh, and that's kind of the focus of today. We're talking about relationships that are shaped in this Christ image kind of stuff. If we're living in this Christ image stuff, how does that talk to us about our relationships? And, and the reality is just this. You know, I don't know if you know where we're going, but we're going to talk about husbands and wives. We're going to talk about children and fathers. We're going to talk about all kinds of stuff in relationships. And, and I would just venture to say that uh, unless you're really walking on water, I mean, if you just kind of walked in, you never touched the ground when you got here, uh, we, we all have and are and probably will struggle with how we live out this stuff in our relationships. It, 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 is, it is not our just natural tendency to live out, yeah, Christ in me, everywhere, all the time. You see, that is not our natural tendency, and yet it is our God-given destiny, if you will, this, this blessing that he brings to us to say he's shaping us and making us different. We don't have to live like we always used to live. We don't have to be like that. We may do it, but we don't have to. 
because he wants to do something different with us. And so today, that's kind of where we're at. Paul is... Paul has been through talking about this is who Christ is, and he's been talking about who, how we live our lives personally, and then he's been talking about how we live our lives and relations within the church. And, and now he's kind of taking that further out, and he said, well, this is what you do when you're in the home or when you're out in the world. This is what this stuff ought to look like. And, and so this is where we are. In Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse, uh, verse 18. And so we'll talk about this. And, and what I want you to do is, though, I want you to think as I'm reading this and as I'm talking, I want you to keep thinking back to communion because we're going to get there. Keep thinking back to this idea of unselfish, sacrificial love because that's what will help us understand what we're talking about in the text today. So uh, Colossians chapter 3, beginning verse 18, says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men." since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong. There is no favoritism. Masters, provide for your slaves with, provide for your, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. I pray that I and pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. He's talking about relationships here, and he begins by talking about the relationship between wives and, and husbands, and, and there is kind of a key word that I want to talk about each of these relationships, and the, and the key word for, for the wives is submit. Uh, submit is one of those words that we kind of, we feel, get a little heebie-jeebies over, and, and most of the time we get that because we really misunderstand this idea about submit, and I, and I want to talk to you about what that means, and and how we ought to understand that in a biblical kind of sense when we talk about submit. Because you see, the Bible says there, there are four things that we need to understand about this idea of submission. The first thing is this. Submission does not cancel out equality. Understand that? Sometimes, sometimes we think about submission, we think, well, I must be less than you. If I submit to you, then I must be less than you. But that's not true. That's not biblically true. Because what we understand is that Jesus... Uh, God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all equal, right? We understand that. Equal persons in the Trinity, we all believe that. And yet it also says that Jesus submitted to the Father. Well, that, you understand what I'm saying there? That, that, the submission part of that does not negate the fact that he's equal with God. And the same thing happens in our relationships. Submitting is not a sense of one's better than another. It, it is just an act of submission. The second thing is just this, is that everyone submits to someone in some way or another. 
Everybody is in submission somewhere. And you read through scriptures and you think through life, you see that this is true. Everybody's in submission somewhere. It's not, it's not an issue. And we all have submission points in our lives. Third thing is this, submission doesn't mean we disobey God. Uh, submission doesn't mean, well, I have to do whatever another person says because uh, I'm under them or somehow that we get misconceptions of all that stuff. And, and, and some people will say, I've seen people who had done really crazy things because they said, well, I was told I was supposed to do this. But it's not consistent with God's word. That doesn't, you don't do that. You're, you're, you're not going to be there. That's, that's not an appropriate kind of process of thinking about Submission. We don't stop obeying God's word just because we are in submission to someone. That's not submission. Finally, it says submission cannot be imposed. It says wives submit to your husbands. It doesn't say husbands make your wives submit. Right? That is oppression. And oppression, God stands against. And we need to understand that kind of difference. And sometimes we, we get into these weird places with submission, and we hear that, ladies, I just say, because it names women, wives. We, we get there, we say, well, I don't know about that, and we go to two extremes. We either say, no, I don't want any part of that because I'm not going to be underneath anybody's authority, and we run off on some trail. Or we go the other direction, and we say, okay, yeah, well, I guess I'll just submit, beat me up, do whatever you want to do to me because I'm going to be in submission. Neither one of those are biblical concepts of submission. They're, they're, one is rebellion and one is oppression. You, you, those, are not, those are not biblical concepts. And, and so when you hear those words, don't hear that. Let, let, me, let me just tell you, I, I think the, the onus is on husbands. As you go back to, to Ephesians uh, chapter 5, and Paul talks about this idea, the relationships between husbands and wives, and, and you get this idea and you say, it's not the way I usually think about it. In fact, you know what's kind of interesting? The very first verse of that passage that Paul talks about in Ephesians, it says this, submit therefore one to another. Does that make sense? I mean, that whole conversation about relationships between husbands and wives and, and parents and, and children and between masters and slaves, it is all based on that introductory sentence that says, Submit, therefore, one to another. So the submission thing is, is not about relationship position. It's about a heartbeat, a lifestyle, a choice that we make to say, I want to be in submission. And, and it falls on the husband because the husband says, and Paul says here, husbands, your, your big responsibility is love. And don't be harsh in the process. Don't be harsh in the process. Somebody said that marriage is when you agree to spend the rest of your life sleeping in a room that's too hot with somebody who has agreed to spend the rest of their life sleeping in a room with somebody who's where the room that's too cold. That's my life. Sorry, and I've already told her I'm taking her out for, for dinner or for lunch, so I'm, I'm covered there. But, you know, it, we, we, choose, we choose to be in relationship. We choose to go down that trail with another person. It, it is that sacrificial kind of sense of love. That's what that is. It says, I choose to sacrificially give up my rights. I choose to sacrificially give up my life, give up my stuff for you for the sake of the other. And Paul goes on and he has this big conversation 
where he's talking about that the husbands ought to love their wives like Christ loved the church and gave his life up for the church. So we ought to give up our lives for our wives. We ought to so live in a way that our wives are the best that they could ever be. Can I just say that to you, husbands? If you're not working husbands to see your wife become all that she can possibly be and not join the army to do it, you're missing something. You're missing something. Our call, just as Christ gave his entire life sacrificially for, for us, the church, so we as husbands need to do that for our wives. Guys, think about that in your relationship. I'm the guy that's trying to make this gal with me be the very best that she can be. I'm not there to abuse her or to oppress her or to have my way with her or any of those kinds of things. My task as a husband, as a man, is to see that the one that God has placed me with is in the very best condition and excelling the very most that she can. You understand that? All you ladies can say amen, that's right. It's okay. And let me just tell you, when guys, we live like that, guess what happens on the other side? Submission becomes a choice that's gladly embraced. This relationship kind of thing, this mutuality of submitting one to another, this mutual relationship that we have with one another becomes this joyous, easy kind of thing that happens because we are both living. Where are we living? We're living in sacrificial love unselfish, sacrificial love. If you want to test to see if you're, what's going on in your life, if, you're, if your relationships are rocky, if your marriage has a rocky spot in it, go back to that place and just say, am I living sacrificial love? Am I living sacrificial love with my spouse? Is that what I'm doing? It's going to be true in all, each of these relationships, but start right there. Just in closing in that, I, I did read one interesting passage that, and I, just because I like to do this, but I'm just going to say it's kind of cool, but it said, husbands who kiss their wives before they walk out the door live longer, live healthier, feel better, have greater health, all those kinds of things. So I'm just telling you guys, don't miss the opportunity to kiss your wife as you walk out the door. You just say, it's what the doctor ordered and my pastor told me I'm supposed to. Okay, so you got it? If you got one, kiss them. No, that's okay. No, not now, later. Okay, so I'm just, I'm just telling you, it's good for your health, spiritually and physically, emotionally, all the rest. Because it's, it's just life. Uh, but you see, here's the tale. <clears throat> you can't force it on them. They have to submit to you kissing them. Right? That's how that works. So treat them good, and they'll want to kiss you goodbye. If they slam the door in your face as you're walking out the door, it ought to be a clue. Okay, enough said. So then we're talking about children and fathers, and, and the key word for children is this idea of obey. And once again, sometimes we, we kind of mess up with this obey. You're going to like this, guys. I'm really, I'm going to, I'm going to give you like the best ammunition you'll ever want. So... I'm sorry, parents, this is coming. But this idea of obey, and sometimes we think about this idea of obey, and we think, well, you better do what I say or else, you know, kind of thing. And, and, and we're, just, we're just after our kids, and, 
And, and we're saying, yeah, you, you know, we're pointing the fingers, we're doing all this kind of stuff, and we say, you better obey, and because that's biblical, you better obey. And, you know, and the good news is, uh, Paul says in Ephesians that, that this idea of children obeying your parents is really a good thing because it's, he says it's a first uh, promise uh, or first law with a promise that says that it will be well with you and that you might have long life. In fact, I remember a lady who said to me one day, said, uh, talking about her kids, she says, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. So there, maybe there is a promise to all that. I don't know. But, but, but there, there is this misconception of this idea of obey. Because literally what this word talks about is this idea is to hear under someone. Hear under someone. That, that's kind of a weird phrase, but that's kind of literally the words that put that word together. To hear under someone. And it, and it really means that, that, that if someone doesn't hear you, you're going to listen, you're going to say, I like this. Just hang on for a second. If someone doesn't hear you, and, or if someone doesn't obey you, it's probably because they have not really heard you. I, your kids are playing video games, or watching TV, and you say, take out the trash. Nothing happens. Well, they didn't hear you. Well, kind of. This idea of hearing someone, hearing under someone, is actually... The process, because you see, obedience is based on three things. It's, it's hearing, it's an auditory thing. It's hearing, it's understanding, and then it's doing something, right? So it's that process. And, and so if someone, if your children haven't heard you, I mean, they, they heard you, but they didn't hear you, and they didn't obey you. Well, guess where this is headed? Guess where this is headed? It's headed back to the parents. It's headed back to the mom and dad. Because we have that responsibility to help our children hear us well. And that's what that says. To hear under someone is to help communicate to them what it is that we're trying to say to them. I, I, like, I read a while back about a, a passage of Scripture that kind of took me back a little bit because it, it was a passage of Scripture that I've always heard and have always heard it interpreted one way, and this person was saying, maybe it means something else. And the passage was this. It says, train up your child in the way that they should go, and when they grow old, they will not depart from it. Right? You all know this. And, and we, we, we hear that passage of Scripture, and we mostly claim that because we say, okay, well, I raised them in the church when they were little. Now they're older, and they've kind of gone off and done their old thing. But I have a promise that says to me, one day they'll all come back, and it'll all be good, right? And, and, I, and I think it does have, mean that. But I'm not certain it completely means that, especially after hearing this guy talk. Because what he talked about was he said, when it says, train up your child in the way that they should go, it's really saying, teach your children in the way that they will understand. Teach your children in the way that they will understand. We all know this. We all learn differently, right? Some of us are auditory people. We hear somebody speak, and man, we've got it. Some of us are visual people. We see, we see it. We read it. We've got it memorized. We're ready to go. Some of us are people that just, if it's not a hands-on kind of thing, we're just not going to get it. And, and, and we understand that as a learning methodology, and, and, and this guy was applying that to that verse. It just says, we have to so teach our children in the way that they will understand. And not just us get up there saying, here's the Ten Commandments and we got to do this. It's us helping our children understand in a way that they will truly understand. Does that make sense? And when we do that, then the rest of the verse all makes sense. 
right? So, so we, we kind of get that. And so the, the understanding, the obeying is understanding so that you will obey. And our job as parents is to help them do that. And he says to the fathers, uh, fathers, uh, I think the word he uses here, I use a different one, but uh, he used the word, where's our fathers at? Fathers, don't embitter your children. Don't embitter your children. Don't, don't exasperate your children. Don't frustrate your children. Don't, don't bring your children to the point that they either want to rebel or they want to quit because that's what happens sometimes. We, we get into those relationships with our kids and we start pointing fingers and we start yelling and we start pushing and they start pushing back or they start giving up, which one more time is oppression and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you, know, you, you don't want to go there. You don't want to be there. But sometimes we get there. And, and I, would, I would just say a couple things to you about this. The th- first thing is this. Don't, in, don't insult your children. I, and, I, and I say this as a dad who has probably said more than, I'm looking at my kids over here, as a dad who has probably said more than he should ever say in frustration or whatever it is. You, know, you, you kind of get there and you say, well, how did you not get to do that? I mean, this seems so obvious. Why did you do that? Or why didn't you do this? Or we get into all those kinds of things and, and, and we end up in places with our children that, that don't help them. Don't help them learn to understand so that they may obey. Rather, our children need words of encouragement. Uh, they need the help that says, you know, sometimes it's correction, but, but they need encouragement in that process. The second thing that the, we need to watch out for is don't ignore them. Too often we as dads say, well, I'm busy, I'm working hard, I'm doing all this stuff, you know, and I, I'm trying to provide for, for my family, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing that, and it's all for them. But what our kids really need is just our time. And uh, for those of you that have young children, I will just share with you that those young children uh, grow up very fast, and then they leave your home, and then they move back. No, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry. That actually, you know, train up your child the way that you know, they depart from, they'll come back. Yeah, that's right. No, it, it's my joy. I got to tell you, it's my joy. But, but I, I'm just telling you that the, the window you have is smaller than you think. It's smaller than you think. I look at my kids, my, I, well, can I just say that? I, the reality is I have two kids that live with me, and I love it. And, and you know, it is this wonderful thing. But I, I look at them, and I just, I kind of dread the day that they're going to say, we're moving. We're going somewhere else, you know. I love that. And I'm just telling you, the window that you have time with your children is very short. They need your time. They need your encouragement. Yeah? Now, the third thing that happens sometimes, Dad, is this, is that we indulge them. Because what happens is we don't spend the time with them that we need, and so then we feel bad about that. So then we think, well, I'll try to make up the difference for them. So I'll, I'll do this for them, or I'll let them do this. Or we, we kind of go back and forth. Or we've said something rotten, and so we, we, we kind of go, and, and that doesn't make any sense. What our kids simply need is time and encouragement, and what you end up out of that is you end up with kids who obey. That's not easy. Okay? That's not easy. But it is this new way of thinking about relationships that, that Paul is pointing us to and that Christ models for us when we think about living, sacrificial, unselfish love. 
Well, Paul continues on, and he talks about this idea of slaves and masters. Slaves and masters is kind of a, kind of a weird concept for us to get our hands around. We, we do talk about slavery today, and, and we see it, um, but it's not quite the way it was back in the day. Now, back in, back in the time that Paul was writing, probably half the citizens of Rome, or half, excuse me, half the occupants of Rome or more were slaves. Everywhere you'd go, half the people you'd see would be slaves. Just think about this room. Half of you are slaves. Okay? You all be masters and you all be slaves. Half. That's hard for me to kind of get my head around. It's hard to figure out how did that happen and why did that happen and why was it that Paul just didn't say, get rid of it, not helping anybody. I don't know. I don't, I don't know why he didn't say that. He, he did talk about in there, uh, in Scripture, he did talk about the idea, if you can be free, be free. Uh, if you can buy your freedom, buy your freedom. If you can help someone with their freedom, help them. That's kind of what Paul did with Onesimus in that conversation. He was helping him get out of his bondage situation. And, and, and we live in that. And and try to step back from that and say, what does that look like today? And I, and I, you know, I kind of thought about some things, and this is Labor Day weekend, and so I'm thinking about, you know, you have employers and employees. Um, I'm thinking about, you know, the way, things that we talk about, language we talk about, we talk about those with power and those without. Uh, maybe, the, maybe that's a better terminology to think about some of this stuff that he, he says that how do we function in those kinds of relationships in our, either our home or our world out there in work? How do, we, how do you interact with someone who is your subordinate in work? How do you act with them? How do you treat them? What do you do? So just kind of think about whatever that relationship is for you, but I'll just tell you what he says to the slaves here. And the key word that he uses there is Lord, the word Lord. He uses that word Lord three or four times in that passage. And he's and he trying to communicate to them this idea that, that we live under the lordship of Christ, regardless of what our status is in this world, whether we have power or no power, whether we're a slave or free, whatever it is. He's, he gives us, frequently Paul says this, you know, there are no slaves and there's no free, there's no Jew or Gentile, there's no, uh, all the comparisons, male or female, that he makes. He says, regardless of what your status is, the question is always, how are you going to live it? How are you going to live your faith in regardless of what your status is? How are you going to live it? Because nobody can sit back and say, well, because this is my situation, I get a pass. Because this is my situation, I don't have to deal with this. Or, or because this is my situation, I get to do this. No, that's not how it works. So he says a couple things. He says, and he talks about this issue of what you're doing is either seen or unseen. And he talks about the importance of working as if it is God who sees all that you do. Working whether or not the, your, your master can see you or not see you. You're working as unto him. Have you ever been in those situations where you had coworkers who just worked when the boss was around, and when the boss wasn't around, they started doing all their text messaging and got on the computer and 
I, I, I've been in those situations. I worked one summer as a, I was shoveling rock in an open pit copper mine, and I spent my entire day shoveling rock. I actually looked better than I do today. I always make fun of my, my big belly, but I tell you what, back then I was a little more, yeah, whatever, a little more in shape. I, a, li- a little more, I won't say I wasn't really, but I was a little more than I am now. But, you know, I shoveled rock all day for the entire summer, and, and, and it was a kind of funny kind of thing, but I was on this crew of guys who shoveled rock all day. Well, not all day, but they shoveled rock the entire year, and, and I was just so frustrated with these guys. I was a young Christian, and I was like, I'm going to live this stuff everywhere, and, and these guys would just work when the boss was around. And as soon as the boss got in the truck and drove down to the next crew, they were done. The shovels went on the ground, and they found a shady spot. It was hot in the summer in Tucson. And uh, they just sat until they saw him come, and then they'd shovel again. And I'd say to these guys, how can you do this? I said, it doesn't matter. We do this all year round. You don't. You're just, you know, you're a college. They called me all kinds of names, and you're going up to college, whatever. And I just was like, I'm sorry, but... So they just says, come sit down, sit down. Nobody's going to care. You know, it'll get done. Don't worry about it. Just sit down. And I said, I'm sorry. This guy's, these are paying me money to work. I've got to keep working. So I would shovel and I would shovel. And then the boss would come back. And in about 15 minutes, they could shovel everything that I had shoveled for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know where that illustration goes, but I'm just telling you, that's just the way that is. <laughs> But there is something about that, isn't there? There is something about giving your all to whatever it is that you do, whether you are seen or unseen. And Paul says you need to do it with sincerity in your heart. And this idea of sincerity actually comes from, the word sincerity actually comes from an idea of how they prepared marble. Uh, Marble back in the day was, you know, used everywhere, um, but to polish marble without machinery is a huge, difficult task. And so to cut corners on how they did that, they would melt wax onto the marble and then polish the surface of the wax until it looked just like it had been polished perfect. And they'd take the marble out, they'd put it in place, and as soon as it got hot, that wax would melt and it would just look like raw marble underneath it. And that was the illustration that he's using. Don't be like marble that just has this waxy surface on the top, but it's really not underneath. Let what you do in your service be the real deal, with sincerity of heart, truly polished, not just a wax job on top. And so they would order, they would buy their materials with or without wax, that would be the same. Which is to say, you're not faking it. I'm not faking the investment of my service here. And finally, he says again, one more time, do all that you do as into the Lord. He says, we do not serve, we do not serve people, we serve God. You understand this? There, there, I, I, I don't know, I shouldn't even go down that trail, but I guess I will. There, there, are, there are no big jobs and little jobs. You understand this? There, there are no 
like that's a real job and this is not a real job. There's no like big stuff and little stuff. Everything that you do is important. Everything that you do is as unto the Lord. And, and we do it that way. It has value and meaning and purpose regardless of whether it's me shoveling rock or whether I'm doing something else. Those are still meaningful jobs because we do our work as unto the Lord who is watching us, who rewards us, who sees us, who says, I am honored by even the least of your service. Does that make sense? He says, do it as unto the Lord. Now, to masters, those with power, those with authority, the key word he says is provide. He says, masters, provide for your slaves. Provide for them. Provide for what they need. Uh, uh, Give them what they need. An honest pay for an honest day's work, that kind of stuff. It, It is our responsibility as those who have authority who those who have power to make a difference to make a difference for those who don't. Does that make sense? We, we do have a responsibility to those who are under us, to those who are oppressed, to those who have difficulties and struggles. And that can be in your home, it can be in your church, it can be in your work, it can be in our society. It, it, it is what he calls us to as masters is to be the people that are saying, I'm going to exert my influence and my power and authority to see good happen in your life. As, I am, uh, as it is uh, Labor Day weekend, I'm just going to give you my two cents about labor and management. I think that many of our problems happen in those relationships between the power and the powerless, powerful and the powerless upon the those that manage and those that serve and all that kind of stuff happens because we get this stuff out of whack. We, we, we get this idea of living, mutually living, sacrificial, selfless love out of whack. And we start either from the top or from the bottom saying, I want more. <laughs> I, I want more. Those with authority want more authority, and those with money want more money. And, and, you know, and we get into these weird places, and, and I think Scripture would tell us, you know, if you want to have a good relationship, you've got to be willing to say, I'm looking out selflessly, sacrificially, for that one who has less, that one who has less power, less resource, less all those other things. And in the same way, we have this relationship, reciprocal relationship kind of things to say, those that have less are also saying, you know, I'm here to serve the Lord. I'm here to do all that I can do as unto the Lord. Yes? And, and okay, I'm not even going to go far down there. But it's based in this. As Christians, as believers, we ought to be at the forefront of what makes a difference in those kinds of things whether that be in a home, in your work, in society. Finally, Paul talks about believers and unbelievers. Uh, Well, actually, he doesn't really talk that much about unbelievers. He just talks about believers. And the key word for believers is this, is preparedness. 
He, he, Paul is saying, you know, we're living in this world where we're not isolated. We're not living in a, in a commune somewhere in the middle of the woods that nobody can get to. We live in the world and we live out our faith. We are living this life of Christ everywhere we are and all that we do. We're, we're living this stuff out. And so he says three things. He says, be devoted to prayer. Uh, Paul says, you, you need to pray for yourselves. You need to pray that, that your hearts would be in tune with, with what's going on around you, that you'd be prepared, that you'd have the sense of God's working in your life and around you to not understand that, that I don't live in isolation, that I do live in this world and people are watching and looking. And you need to pray for Paul. You need to pray to say, pray for each other, pray for Paul, pray for each other, that, that the proclamation of the gospel to those who have not yet come to believe would be clear that he would speak as he should with boldness. And then he says, be thankful. Just be thankful. There's something about, about this preparedness for the relationship that you have with the world around you is this sense of thankfulness. And I, I wonder about what kind of attitudes uh, people see in me when I go out. And thankfulness ought to be one of the things that people see in me. It ought to be part of the life that I live in front of people. And not, and not just this phony kind of thing like, oh, everything's great, it's all good, you know, God's Lord of my life, and man, it's all good. When my life is falling apart behind me and I've got a wrenching stomach, and you know, that, that's not the kind of thankfulness he's talking about. He's talking about a thankfulness that grows out of an honest trust in God that says even in the midst of the storm, even in the midst of the difficulties, even in the face of vast, difficult realities, there is a sense of thankfulness and trust in God. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. It's in the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus until the day he returns. Those are promises that we live on. Those are promises that face the reality and say, I recognize there are difficult, challenging circumstances in my life, and yet I come to God with thankfulness in my heart and say, God, here I am, me and all my stuff. And we live that way in front of people around us, not knowing whether they be believers or unbelievers. Finally, he says, be wise with unbelievers. Be wise. Make the most of every moment. Be careful how you live. Paul talks about this idea. Jesus talks about it. Scripture talks about it over and over again. How we live our lives, the wisdom with which we live our lives is a reflection upon what we believe. Jesus said, take the log out of your own eye before you try to take the speck out of somebody else's eye. That we are living transformed lives. Romans, uh, Paul says in Romans 2, he says, you preach against stealing, but do you steal? You preach against adultery, but do you commit adultery? See, our words and our actions need to be redemptive in our world because we live out this stuff. We live out unselfish, sacrificial love because Christ loved us that way. 
and we live that out with those around us, at home, work, and in the world around us. That's what we do. You know the verse, John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that all who believe would not perish, but have everlasting life. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 5, or chapter 5, verse 8, says, but God demonstrates his love in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It is the life that he lived. It is the life that he invites us into. It is the life that he is transforming to make us to be. That kind of sacrificial, unselfish love. That's the image of Christ, lived out in us. What we celebrate today. You pray with me? Father, we thank you that you had plans beyond anything we could understand. Good plans for love, for relationship, for redemption. You sent Jesus Christ, lived among us, walked and taught, healed, proclaimed, suffered. Crucified, dead, buried, risen again. Love poured out for us. And we are thankful. Lord, there is something that calls us and draws us. Draws us into that kind of love relationship. Even when, Lord, we know we don't deserve it. Even when we stumble and fall so often. And yet we know that your love bids us forward. Your love transforms us. Your love binds us, makes us one with you, one with each other. And so, Lord, as we celebrate Celebrate your death and your resurrection, your sacrifice, your forgiveness. We exalt you. We lift your name high. We pray blessing upon these elements and upon each one who receives it. May it be the foundation of the life we live. For it's all about unselfish, sacrificial love. Bless it all. We pray in Jesus' name.